Amy Wilson is a former journalist and author of children's books. She's a graduate of the MA in Creative Writing at Bath Spa University. Amy's debut novel, A Girl Called Owl, is a fantasy influenced by old folklore, myth and elemental magic. Since then, she's written three further novels, A Faraway Magic, Snow Globe and Shadows of Winter Spell. But now she returns to the stories of her first novel with a new book, Owl and the Lost Boy. And we're going to talk about that novel today in the reading corner. But first, I'm going to welcome Amy. Hello, it's lovely to be here. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so excited to be talking to you about this book, not least because it is exactly the kind of story that I would have read when I was nine, 10, 11 years old. I wonder if to begin with, you could just link for us the first novel and the second one and how that story leads into the present story. So A Girl Called Owl came out in 2017. It's the story of Owl and her adventures as she tries to work out, first of all, who her father is and then what that means to her um, in terms of her family and herself and her identity she has to sort of winkle it out of her mother really um all her life she's heard these legends been read these stories about fey wonderlands and all the things and all the characters in there and eventually discovers that her father is jack frost and has an amazing adventure with him with her friend mallory and a new friend alberic who is the son of autumn which is the earl of october so in Owl and the Lost Boy, we turn back to Owl and also to Alberic, the son of the Earl of October. Um, when I finished A Girl Called Owl, obviously I still had the characters in my mind and their worlds. And I still very much had Alberic in my mind because he'd had a bit of a run in with his father in A Girl Called Owl. Um, and Alberic lost his mother as a, as a small child and his been brought up by the court of the Fae, um, the Lady of the Lake, the Green Man, all of those familiar characters. So I knew that he would be okay, but that there was another story to tell about this run-in with the Earl of October and what might have come after that for him. Mm -hmm. So that's really where we go um, with Owl and the Lost Boy. We meet Owl in this endless eternal summer because Autumn has disappeared, the Earl of October has disappeared, and so has her friend Alberic. And of course, without Autumn, you can't get to winter. And I have to say, it's an incredibly claustrophobic summer that you describe. It's not my favourite. I, I don't, don't love being over hot, and neither does Al. Physically, it's very hard on her, this eternal summer she really really needs for it to be autumn and winter and of course so does the rest of the world and then of course she's worried about her friend Alberic as well so it kind of all comes together and then with Mallory they set off on on a mission really to find him and and to fix these problems. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about your fake characters and then we'll come on to Owl and Alberic in a moment but you're, uh, I love that word fey. One of my favourite characters from Arthurian legend was Morgan le Fay, And I just love that sound of that word fey. Mm. And your um, fey characters 
they inhabit a world that exists coexists alongside ours they're very much like old folklore or old fairies if you like um and you have this personification of your four seasons you've mentioned the earl of october jack frost lady midday is the summer no, lady midday is summer and then there's the queen of may who is springtime right and we obviously uh, recognize the names Jack Frost and uh, the Queen of the May. Mm. Uh, what about Earl of October and Lady Midday? Did you make those two up? No, Lady Midday is from um, some other folklore um, in the sort of the Russian and Serbian um, legends. She's Poludnica and she appears in full summer and encourages you to sleep. And of course, that's very bad if you're in full summer lulls you to secure she's quite a dangerous character um and so my lady midday is inspired by her um the earl of october <laughs> came about i don't know if you remember the children's program it was play away um my very good friend aviva used to watch it and remembered it well and remembered this character the earl of october and i couldn't find anything about him when i did my research but I felt it was the perfect name for my autumnal character. So I've, I've borrowed him from there, really. You may or may not um, have an answer to this question, but it, it set me thinking about why uh, some of the seasons we've kind of gendered with male characteristics and others we've kind of gendered with female characteristics through, through folklore as well mm. as in your own story. I don't know if you had any thoughts about that. My thought, I suppose, as much as anything, is to give them equal power so that the female characters are no more gentle or less mischievous than the male characters. And they all fight for their season just as hard and in just as sort of underhand ways because they're not human. There's massive scope for them to have all sorts of qualities and abilities the the main part for me was to make sure that it doesn't feel sort of one way or another and the names of the characters really and and the, where i found inspiration from that dictated so jack frost is male the earl of october male um and then lady midday i don't know that's just how it sort of came out really they mm. just um once i'd done my research and done some thinking about it um that was what they that was who they are absolutely and they are uh, and, and who knows why those things were set um originally <laughs> way way back in time and like those mythic uh gods from olympus you can't really trust them can you <laughs> no and i think that's what i enjoy about them you don't really know what they're going to do next or, or quite what they're capable of um and so i think Owl and the other characters, they always have to be a little bit wary, a little bit careful about, you know, what they're getting caught up in. And yeah. um, they really have to think for themselves. Now, I know that you offered to do some reading for us. And there's a part in the book where you have these descriptive passages, these fey passages set apart from the narrative. And I think you're going to start by reading one of those to us. Yes, thank you. Um, this one's called Fables and Earth Spirits. Few are as powerful in the world of men as the elements who rule the seasons. 
spring, summer, autumn and winter, none would happen without them. And often that is the risk, for they fight like warriors to hold their ground. The Queen of May is springtime. She comes with all her new life and steps on the coattails of winter, only yielding to summer when that season can no longer be denied. Summer herself, the Lady Midday, must then do battle with the Earl of October, who stalks across the ground, his low song bringing autumn's amber and gold, tucking all things away before Jack Frost, mischievous king of winter, is released from his world of ice and snow. Each would rule for years, even longer, if they could, and it is only the might of Mother Earth herself that keeps them in order. One cannot happen without the other, and they must each come at their own time. For sure there are days of summer that burst bright into Jack Frost's winter time, and days of frost that linger long into spring. But those are the exceptions, not the rule. The rule is Mother Earth's, and the only threat to her order is Father Time himself. Ooh, it's just so beautiful and so very visual. Um, I, I wonder whether you have quite strong images of the look of these characters, these fey characters. They just exist when they're written. I think I'm, I'm, when I do write, I am quite visual. My imagination is quite visual. It's just trying to capture that as closely as I can. I wouldn't say beforehand quite how they looked or what they were going to be like, but once I start writing, um, it's as though they're with me and so I can see them and I know them. It'd be lovely to do some visualisation with children. I, I just wonder if they'd had the same images in their head as I have in mine, because it does yeah. create such very strong uh, pictures. It's wonderful. So what's really exciting about it, how we all see things so differently. So the same description, you know, in words can look entirely different in someone's mind. And I think that's part of the freedom of reading is that we sort of, we, we interpret things the way we need to, to make them make sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, thinking about your characters, uh, Al and Albrick, they're half human and half fae, but each of them has been brought up in a different world. So Al's been brought up by her mother in the human world, mm. and Albrick's been brought up by his father in the fae world. How has being brought up in their respective worlds affected them differently? Well, Al has been questing really to find her father her whole life it's been a a real gap for her because she didn't know who he was and because for a long time she found it quite difficult to believe those legends and those stories um and so she found that gap but she had very much a full supported human life you know she she went to school just like everybody else she had her mother and her mother's very emotionally and, and physically present. Um, and so I think that Owl, although she had that gap that she wanted to fill desperately, she, for me, comes very much from a place of stability. She knows who she is as much as she can. Um, and she knows what she needs. And she knows that when she goes home, even if she gets told off for being late, her mother will be there and will help her to deal with whatever she's found. Um, so she's sort of safe to adventure. 
whereas Alberic has grown up in the court and so his human side has never really been looked after or developed and his father hasn't got a very good impression of humanity and quite a lot of the Fae have got some hesitations about humanity for fairly obvious reasons really Um, and so he's got quite a lot of work to do to be at peace with who he is and to accept really his humanity as well as his fey otherness and so yeah they do come from sort of directly very opposite places and they're very important to each other as well as to everybody else just because they are the only two who really knows what it's like to be um, between two worlds. Mm-hmm. What's Mallory's role in this? She's quite a connecting piece isn't she? She is she's brilliant um, because she is wholly human and yet nothing phases her, nothing stops her. She has huge determination and she always comes through just when you need her. So where the others are faltering, where their belief in themselves or the world is at risk, she is completely immovable. She just, you know, she has her own dramas, she has her own things going on in her life, but she's just got such a strong sense of what should be and what is and I think that she shows the very best of humanity really in fighting for for the right things and for not letting go not giving up not giving in and they both do need her and rely on her don't they as well I mean it would be no good to have her in in the book without her own power it's very important that she has her own power her own agency and her own story She's not to be, you know, a sidekick. She needs to be as present and and whole and real as the others do, really. Mm. There is something that connects all three of them. And it's around the um, idea of fathers. So Alberic really is searching for his father who's gone missing, but he's also searching to reach out, out to him and make a connection. Obviously, Owl is searching for Jack Frost, who's also missing. And Mallory has a a tension in her family and her father's part of that as well. But my question really is a more general one. And that is that I do know that you you lost your father when you were quite young yourself. And I wondered whether these characters searching for their father in some way resonated um, for you or has come out of that experience. It does very much. Um, so I, I lost him when I was 11. It was the summer before I was going to start secondary school. So I went into a new school with new people. And, you know, there's that initial conversation you have at school, you know, what did your mum do? What did your dad do? And I, that was really challenging for me. And so I escaped into books a lot over that time. And that was really important to me. And it was always very difficult to talk about him. Um, It was difficult to talk about him at home as well. And we didn't have things like photos and and, um, possessions of his. And so I still search for him. Um, I search for him in myself. And I search for him when I see other fathers um, or grandfathers. I wonder what he would have been like. I'll never quite know. But I can remember, you know, as much as I can. And I think that all of these characters have got their own 
stories um, relating to their fathers. So Al wanted to find a father and did. <laughs> and he wasn't he wasn't at all what she had expected to find, and neither was her life having found him. It changed everything. And although that's a really magical, powerful, and wonderful thing, it does take, you know, it has taken her a little while to accept the reality of being Jack Frost's daughter and the reality of him. He is never going to be a very stable sort of influence in her life. Um, and Alberic has got quite a complicated relationship with his father. Um, I think that through Al and the Lost Boy, they come to understand each other far better. And Alberic learns that actually the reason that the Earl is so disparaging of humanity is because he lost Alberic's mother, who was human. And so he sort of can't quite forgive the world for taking her away from him. And of course, the world took her away from him because she was human and because those things happen. And then with Mallory, Mallory's parents are going through a divorce in Owl and the Lost Boy. And I didn't mean, <laughs> when I set out to tell their stories, I, I didn't really mean to uh, have that as a, as a sort of a theme or a thread for all three of them. But I grew up with my mum following the death of my father and she had various relationships and um, changes through our, through our lives. And so that's what I know. Really, that's my reality of a family that's quite complicated and where you have to accept that things aren't going to be quite the way you wanted them to. Mm. It's interesting you uh, starting off um, you, your answers to that question by saying you were searching in the faces of people, of grandfathers and so on. But actually, as you've gone on with that question, it also sounds to me like part of that search is being carried out through your writing as well. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a kind of magic, really, how how much goes into the writing. And, and then when you finish and you realise you've said something that perhaps you didn't realise you you needed to say or that was a real theme for you, for you in your life. You know, we all are trying to resolve things and um, hopefully these things do kind of work out and make some sense of it all <laughs> indeed although we're probably searching all of our lives for answers to questions of one kind or another um, and this book is about searching but it's also about time isn't it and yes. the characters actually do come face to face with time they go back to meet father time and you've got they a second do. you've got a second passage that you were going to read to us which introduces yes. father time time is here i was so excited about his world because it's a complete departure really from all of the others. So here he is, Father Time. In one word, chaos. How can there be order in a world where time is fluid, where a moment can last a lifetime, where the future is as real as the past and there is no present? Father Time is not welcome in the world of Mother Earth. He plays with the natural order of all living things and all living things are at his mercy. In the world of time, cities are born to fall in moments. Moments themselves are shadowy things, hooded and cloaked. They are not real, for nothing is real there. They are illusions, Father Time's own creations. And as he has created them, they have no substance. Time has no substance. It is fleeting and fickle. 
and its father is the very cruelest of the fae, for life and death mean nothing when the past is not the past. It's so interesting because people will take from that in different ways, won't they? Mm. And the world that you create when they actually do get through to, to Father Time's world is very different. Um, it's chaotic, it's nightmarish. It reminded me a little bit of the wasteland. It's a little bit like walking into something full of holes where any minute the land can just just give way underneath you because because nothing is stable and nothing is well real in our in our terms um and so yeah they have quite an adventure there and it was i have to say it was quite a lot of fun to write those scenes and then within this madness (laughs) (laughs) there appears a lamp post now there's something it says and then something familiar a lamp post and a path across a field the same field that bounds the court of course i was transported to narnia at that point is that deliberate or not it wasn't deliberate no but now that you have said it it is very much that sort of lamp post it's almost a scene by itself it means home and it means possibility i think and albrick is clinging to it because it is home for him it is where he would like to be dearly he would like to be back in in our world with owl somewhere where the ground doesn't shift beneath your feet and he's used up quite a lot of his power and energy clinging to this lamppost and keeping it going perhaps you know just hoping that that she would find him Mm. interesting so not a not a deliberate reference but in some ways it does uh, serve the same function as it does for lucy i mean i just think that these books that you read as children they echo through everything you know c.s lewis and and narnia and alice in wonderland and you know all, all of those really powerful images and stories of adventure and danger and I think that they stay and so even if you don't consciously recognize it you sort of you're drawing on them I think for inspiration yeah um one of the things that the story has is an ecological message certainly as adults reading it we're aware of summers that are becoming longer Mm. wildfires that are starting in parts of the world that seem to be almost apocalyptic it never takes over your story but is there an element of you thinking about that as you're writing yes there is absolutely when it came to writing a sequel for owl it seemed seemed like the right adventure for her to be stuck in in summer and trying to find her way back to winter but of course there are real issues going on at the moment and so almost my my care was to not be too explicit or to draw on it too much but allowing it to colour everything really as it does. I think that's what's so wonderful because it really doesn't get laboured in the story and yet it is there as you say Um, when you describe the moon razor it says that their world is clotted uh, by our world and we know that those oceans are kind of clotted with plastic and so on but it's it's never a lesson that we're being taught no I mean I don't think I'm a person to deliver a lesson I'm just aware aware as as we all are 
of how important it is and actually how horrifying it is. No, I don't want it to be a horrifying story. I want it to, to reflect that while giving hope that, you know, there are things hopefully that we can do that will make the difference. And I think that's what Mallory takes away from that conversation with the Moonraiser, particularly. I think that she um, is not going to let that go. They all are. They're all going to carry that story back to the human world and it's going to make their endeavours even stronger. We're, we're heading towards the end of the book here a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to take it right to the end because we want people to have some things to uncover when they read it for themselves. Mm-hmm. But I am going to ask you whether now having written two books in Owl's World, whether there's space for more stories here. I think there are. There are characters in there that have only just begun to show themselves. And so it would be really interesting to see how that might develop in the future. Of course, that's not what I'm currently working on. Um, And so who knows what might happen. But I think Owl's World has been very kind to me. And it's been a real pleasure to go back to it now. And I just... um, We'll see how it all goes. Interesting that you've gone backwards and forwards rather than just writing one straight sequence, as it were. Um, But before we leave it completely, you said there are one or two characters who we're just getting to know. Um, If you were to follow any character and build their story more, which character would it be? Well, of the Fae, I think I'd like to spend a bit more time with the Lady of the Lake in, in her underwater world. It was lots of fun being there with her. Um, I think that probably the Moonraiser's adventure would be quite an interesting one, having introduced her this time. And then I think that there's probably some other characters in the court, in the Fae court, people like the the Green Man, who probably got you know some really tremendous stories to tell. So I. I don't know, I sort of feel that all the characters, even spending, you know, spending more time with Jack Frost, because he's obviously very present in both books, but in this second one, mostly spoken about rather than present. Um, So it might be quite fun to return to his world at some point as well. Oh, goody, lots to look forward to. I know, there's too too much. (laughs) (laughs) Amy, thank you so much for talking to us in the Reading Corner today. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for listening to In the Reading Corner with Just Imagine. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you can find many more on the podcast section of our website, justimagine.co.uk, plus via iTunes or SoundCloud or your usual podcast provider. Don't forget to pass the pod and recommend this fantastic free resource to your friends and colleagues.